Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Whereas our purpose, we make your world a safer place, says we need to be able to help when that risk transfer has to occur. But how do we increasingly actually think about the front end of that, which is how do you help communities and individuals be better aware of and understand and manage risk? And if you do that, that creates opportunities, both potentially from a product or a service point of view, but also from a claims avoided and claims cost reduction point of view in terms of our commercial sort of drivers as well. Those are the inspiring words of Romana James. Romana is Executive General Manager of Shared Value at IAG. IAG is the largest general insurance company in Australia and New Zealand. The group's businesses underwrite almost $12 billion of premium per annum, selling insurance under many leading brands. It was great connecting with Romana and learning about his passion for sustainability and purpose-driven business. IAG have been leaders in the implementation of Shared Value Strategy, which was fascinating to learn more about. I have some exciting news to share with you prior to our Patreon thank you. I'm pleased to announce that I'll be partnering with Cooper Investors to produce a podcast docu-series on mental health and well-being. Producing a different sort of podcast has been on my agenda for some time, so this is an amazing opportunity to go deep and find some answers regarding our mental health system and also to share some of my own mental health journey along the way. Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered, with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters, including Humanism, Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Sue K, Carmen, Misha, Jasmine, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe, McCartan, Joel F, and Stuart. You can become a monthly Patreon today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Romana as much as I did. So I'm here with Romana James of IAG. Thank you so much for joining me, Romana. Hey, great to be here, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's a long-awaited uh, podcast that we could finally make it happen. <laughs> it's, it's always <laughs> funny trying to coordinate um, over Zoom with very busy calendars, but I'm really grateful um, to you for making the time. I have heard amazing things about your work through the Shared Value Network and through others. And I'd love, before we get into that, just to hear about um, your journey into the space, into sustainability, and how you've ended up um, playing a a very major role at one of the biggest insurers in the country. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mike. I I might go back. I guess what shaped me to be where I am now comes from, I guess, childhood and where I grew up in many ways. And I was... I think very um, lucky and privileged to grow up in a very alternate upbringing on the north coast of New South Wales. And my parents had um, bought a beautiful property up near Bellingen and we lived fairly, very actually very remotely and on the most part self-sufficiently. And I remember just there's a few, probably three key things that have come out of that that shaped why I've ended up working in the type of uh, work that I do. One was the power of nature and connection to land, very consistent with Indigenous, you know, ideas around land and the importance of land to us and our our mental and physical well-being. I spent a lot of time as a kid running up and down creeks and rivers um, on the North Coast and that has formed a lot of my thought and care about sort of planet and ecosystems and those types of things. My mum and dad were also 
very big on social equity and a belief in opportunity and fairness for people. And so I think that's really shaped my personal purpose around building resilience for people and organisations. And the third one, my parents were hippies and um, my dad particularly, but mum as well, Buddhist. And I remember as a kid going to ashrams and sitting in on meditation sessions and so mindfulness and the importance of sort of personal spirituality has always been with me as well. And so I think those three things led me to, um, when I was thinking about career, to think about how could I help make the world a better place through the work that I do. And that started for me as um, coming out of a, a sort of environmental science degree with geography and um, marine biology and marine co- ecology, um, working with an environmental consultancy or a sustainability consultancy firm and, and then sort of numerous and, and multiples of those over about seven or eight years sort of working on environmental impact assessment and environmental management, increasingly social sustainability and social considerations as well. But I was actually, I was really lucky in that early days of my career. I worked in the UK for a really interesting um, environmental engineering firm and I was going to places like Turkey and Germany and Cyprus doing environmental impact assessment and management on um, energy projects and doing really interesting things like in the UK, I was there not long after Mad Cow and they'd frozen all of these cows and they were, we were doing some calculations around the calorific value of burning cows and creating energy. Um, so just some fascinating, interesting projects that I was able to be involved in. Um, but then I, I, after doing that for, as I said, maybe seven or eight years, I sort of started to think about when I when work as a consultant, you tend to work on a component of an overall project. So you don't have an necessarily a lasting and enduring impact or be able to see it all the way to the end. And so then I was really interested in thinking about and working with big business and inside big business to try and enable or support change from within um, as much as enabling or supporting it from without as as a consultant. And I was very lucky to get a corporate responsibility manager role at Vodafone back in 2003 uh, which became the formation of what's been now the next, you know, close to 18 years of my career, which has been working within organisations to help them uh, understand and address sort of social and environmental sustainability issues in an economic way and then sort of help them build sustainability strategies and think about things like shared value and the concept of resilience. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed I had a great uh, great time working for I think nearly eight years at Vodafone, both here but also in the UK, with the head office uh, for a couple of years. I was there actually in Europe in 2006 at a really interesting time. It was when um, the Stern uh, study on the economic costs of climate change was first coming out, and he was doing some of the research for that through 2006. And I was actually involved as a Vodafone representative and contributed to some of that um, analysis and work. And there was a lot of work happening in the EU at the time as well as through the UN. And I just got connected to some really interesting pieces of work there that got me quite inspired to continue my role within businesses um, and to try and help business shift the way it operated and to change its views from one that have probably historically been philanthropic. You know, we create a foundation so that we can give back because... We've almost because we've taken from society rather than saying 
what's our core purpose? Is it creating social or environmental value? And if it is, how do we um, amplify that and feel like the work that we do is not giving back but rather core and critical to our business? And so that, that sort of inspired me to continue to uh, work within business. And I then I was really lucky to then um, have an opportunity at Stockland, uh, one of the larger sort of property development and management companies in Australia. And there was being it really interestingly got to work on sort of property development and management, but things like social sustainability in the context of the livability of communities and how well the master plan communities work, not just from a environmental sustainability point of view, but how are they enabling social well-being and social capital and how they be good places to live and work and, and grow up and do those types of things. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed my time there and, um, again, made another industry jump. So that was nearly six years working in property. And then most recently, uh, close to six years now, I um, moved across to IAG and you talked about being in one of the largest insurers in the company and the role that I I'm playing there. It was really interesting. I never thought that I would work for an insurer necessarily. It wasn't my goal in life. But um, I, when I investigated the work that IAG has done over many, many years, even back into the early 2000s around climate change and sort of understanding and managing the risks of these major natural disasters and perils um, and culturally the strength of the organisation, I was really excited to be able to join at a time when we were setting our new purpose at that time, which was to make your world a safer place. And that idea of safety and extending that into resilience and the ability to bounce back stronger from things resonated really strongly with my personal purpose. And so, um, yeah, I've been um, working for six years on looking at how we embed and integrate things like resilience and sustainability into corporate strategy and how we make sure that it's understood and owned and delivered across various parts of the organisation. And, and a critical part, of, as you mentioned, has been also shared value. And introducing this idea that shared value, where you focus on the, the really commercial, strong commercial opportunities where you're addressing social and environmental issues, um, enables your organisation and your boards and group executives to engage with this work in a way that could be seen to be scaled rather than seen as an add-on or something that's on the side that we only do a certain amount of to give back in a philanthropic way. So... Yeah, I'd say that's that's sort of a, a run through my background and, and some of those roles that I've played. But if you think about it, the last 18 years has been across three industries in three organisations that have been very purpose and values driven where I've felt that I could have an impact and do something meaningful, which is really important to me. That's really concisely said. You wrap that up so nicely. We're going to put a bow on top also. Uh, I noticed that, you know, your entry into the sort of environmental or social corporate responsibility um, space is sort of at that critical, you know, 2001, 2002 mark where, you know, um, I remember studying at a uni at that time and it was sort of just becoming a thing where there were positions in companies um, yeah. for, you know, um, what wasn't called social impact at that time, but corporate social responsibility, sustainability. Talk a bit about how that kind of became a thing that, that companies had as part of doing business mm. and how maybe it just wasn't before or wasn't kind of in the in the, um, the lexicon before that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I think um, companies have for uh, many years been working on social programs or have a foundation and often they would manage 
um, environmental risks or environmental impacts of their operations, but they'd been um, thought of as you know, slightly separated or, or operated in a separated way. And the idea of the sort of triple bottom line and, you know, this concept of sustainability and thinking about future generations has increasingly, I think, got people to start to think about how you bring those elements together. How do you think about the social, environmental and economic um, impacts and opportunities that you have as an organisation outside of the direct financial numbers that you deal with day to day? And you're right, it was in those very early 2000s that we started to see roles uh, that brought some of those elements together and it started to think of them as a more strategic opportunity. And when I was, it was interesting, we, so when I joined Vodafone in 2003, um, that was partly driven out of, whilst there were some companies here in Australia like Westpac and IAG and some others that were at the time sort of leaders in this corporate responsibility space, um, the UK was quite advanced. Interestingly, stakeholder pressure and increasingly government oversight in the UK had seen some of these companies start to really think about these things in an integrated way and hence why the role was created here in Australia that I was able to then join. But you, it really did start to see a bit of more of an acceleration of um, thinking in a much more strategic way about the value that these uh, this focus on social, environmental and economic, sort of the triple bottom line concept, but in a sustainability concept, how that could add value for an organisation. And I think, you know, it's interesting how it became so much more um, integrative rather than kind of a separate distinct um, thing that hangs off the side of the organisation, like a foundation or, you know, a suite of social corrective programs of of some sort or another. Like when I think about what IAG is doing in safer communities, like making the world a safer place, it sort of so cleverly intentionally has that element of a clear business imperative or objective. But, you know, solving that business objective or imperative also helps you provide a lot of value socially. Absolutely. And I think that's where I think um, with the emerging idea of purpose and being purpose-led and being really clear on what your purpose is additional to making money for shareholders, um, that provides a huge amount of opportunity um, for for your organisation. And I think what it does is it helps you elevate it from, as you called out, something that was on the side either to manage risk or to slightly build reputation to actually saying, what's our purpose here as an entity or as an organisation and how does that enable us to create commercial value for the organisation? And that's where making world a safer place, if you think about the insurance continuum, typically insurance happens when um, an event has occurred, there's already a a range of risk mitigation measures that will have been put in place before that event occurs. And so insurance becomes risk transfer. Whereas our purpose, we make you well to safer place, says we need to be able to help when that risk transfer has to occur. But how do we increasingly actually think about the front end of that, which is how do you help communities and individuals be better aware of and understand and manage risk? And if you do that, that creates opportunities, both potentially from a product or a service point of view, but also from a claims avoided and claims cost reduction point of view in terms of our commercial sort of drivers as well. So that shared value concept comes to life really strongly with a purpose that has both social value, but social value that enables you to drive those commercial benefits as well. 
It's a great response. And it also makes me think right now about the times we're living in, um, very troubled times with the bushfires and sort of leading into COVID. And I wonder about your thoughts on whether doing a good kind of shared value corporate strategy um, also helps you become a resilient organisation or, or does it kind of, is it a reflexive process where you're pulling in, um, you know, environmental triggers to build a stronger strategy and that leads to resilience or what is the kind of uh, the resilience maker if you will in the piece yeah it's a really good question Mike. I, um, I think the shared value concept if you if you think about it, you know, michael um, porter and mark kramer when they talked about the concept they said that um, you have unique assets and capabilities that are able to helpfully potentially solve some of those social and environmental challenges that exist and realize commercial opportunities in doing that what that was in effect talking about was uh, market failures. You know, if there's a social challenge or problem or an environmental one that's not being solved by our market in the capitalist term, then actually there's probably a solution and that solution might be able to be monetized or be able to create some value for an organisation if they can deliver on that solution. And so in effect... Using the shared value um, concept helps you be very aware of and open to what are the emerging issues and trends where the opportunities might emerge or also where the challenges are. And so that builds resilience, that ability to scan and see where social issues or environmental challenges are impacting on your business, either creating an opportunity for you or something that you need to manage from a risk or a cost point of view then it helps you then respond to that and you'll grow stronger in that response. And so I think, yes, shared value as a business model does inherently support organisations to be more resilient in adapting to change and being able to take advantage of change rather than perhaps um, you know, getting eaten by it or, or, or beaten by it. And, I mean, in a way, this is sort of a follow-on question, having a more holistic strategy in that sense because of shared value, how has that kind of shaped how IAG has been able to respond to both the pandemics, uh, the pandemic and the bushfires, sort of in a more kind of like, um, I, I guess I'm trying to ask, how has it been for IAG and sort of what have you found to sort of become some of the key challenges and opportunities of this difficult period? Yeah. I, it's interesting, isn't it, because we've seen compounding events over this last 12 months here in Australia, which has been so devastating. So from the bushfires to hail to flood to then COVID, and what that does is that's when it compounds multiple events over time is that people almost, they're, they're trying to get off, you know, off the ground back onto their feet and then they get hit again. And we know the more times you get hit, the harder it is to come back up. So from as an organisation... I think our purpose, um, making your world a safer place, gave, gave us a really fantastic lens in which to approach both things like the bushfires but then COVID as well. So what it drove us to do is how do we make sure our people and our employees are safe and looked after and cared for? Um, likewise, how do we translate that to our customers? Because we know if we've got safe people that feel you know, alive, resilient, connected and empowered, then they're going to also support and enable our customers, which will also drive commercial value for the organisation. We actually saw, we, we moved really quickly with COVID and had 98% of our workforce working from home before the end of March, you know, within a couple of weeks. And then we were providing huge amounts of support for them, both through the infrastructure they needed at home, but ongoing monetary support around the costs of, of working from home. 
And that, along with support for mental health and the whole range of measures we put in place to ensure that our people were feeling connected and engaged, meant that we've had the highest levels of employee advocacy and employee engagement in our organisation that we've seen. And that's happened on the back of putting our people first and really looking after them. And that's really a shared value concept. You know, if you can have, think about and support your employees to be productive, empowered and engaged, then you're going to actually deliver greater outcomes and have higher levels of productivity as an organisation. But that then translates to how well we service and support customers. So, you know, we had 120,000 claims, I think it was possibly more on the back of bushfires and and, um, hail and floods over the summers. Um, we mobilised and actually accelerated how well and how fast we could service those claims even through COVID because we understood how critically important it was to help people in this sort of compounding impacts. We even employed more people. So we were putting on additional people to enable us through a challenging time to continue to support and, and service customers. And there's some really strong shared value thinking in that as well in terms of, you know, loyal and loyal customers that want to stay with you that are going to advocate for you as well. Um, so I think both shared value but also this resilience concept, if an organisation has them as part of their business model, as part of their strategy, they're more likely to survive and bounce back from impacts like this and I think they're more likely to be successful um, not just in the short term but in the medium to long term as well. That's really well said. Um, on a personal note, how are you going during COVID? I'm asking you, I guess, this. And do yeah. you have any sort of things that you've you know, held sacred or tips, ho- hobbies, routines that have helped you kind of maintain your your vim and vigor? <laughs> yeah, I'm an extrovert. So, um, you know, I found, in fact, the first couple of weeks were okay because it just felt different. And in some ways that adds excitement, even though obviously there's lots of anxiety involved with that as well. But it was different. Then you settle into actually, I know this might be the new normal. And as an extrovert, I was, you know, very, very much missing the human interactions that happen face to face. But I think the it's amazing how well we as a society have embraced technology, how well we've used digital forms of connection to actually enable us to still feel that sense of connection. Um, I still, though, I mean, physical and mental health is more challenging when you're in this type of environment. So. I've certainly been making sure that I get physical exercise, that I do mindfulness techniques, that I do breathing exercises, that I get up and move around, that I do walking meetings where I'm on the phone or Zooming or WebExing, whatever it is, via the phone while I'm walking rather than always sitting at my desk. Um, yeah, and just making sure that I reach out to people and connect and see how they're going. And likewise, when people do that for me, that gives me a great sense of, human connection that I may not be getting when I'm meeting with people face-to-face. Um, and have you just got, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just, what I have been fascinated by, though, is this roller coaster of um, collective and societal anxiety, you know, that sense of we all together are struggling with this. In some ways that makes it easier because you've got that network and everyone's in this position. But on the other hand, it means that there's a, a wave and a scale of anxiety and challenge that we've probably not faced or lent into for a very long time, and that can make it also very, very difficult. And so, yeah, it's just an interesting um, sort of ups and downs, peaks and troughs as we navigate our way through it. 
Absolutely. And have you discovered any um, any things that you've been enjoying reading or podcasts that you've been listening to or anything else that's sort of been nourishing content for you during this time? Yeah. Um, interestingly, I've, I've, like my wife's been doing lots of podcasts and my daughter's reading huge amounts of books. And I, if, if I'm normally quite an avid reader and I've been reading less and actually almost listening to less. And I think it's because I've been I've often been sitting at my desk during the day in calls and, you know, Zoom and WebEx meetings and engaging with people. So in those times when I'm not, I've been using them to go walking or to get outside. Um, so try and fill them with exercise or with quality conversation. Um, but, of course, you know, in the, as the nature of the work that we do within organisations, I've also, you know, had to, had to and, and but enjoyed understanding what these impacts have been socially uh, and also environmentally and how does that play out for our organisation and how do we utilise those insights as we think about our response, you know, as an organisation, both from a business model and strategy point of view, but also from a social um, point of view as well. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy time. Do, do you think that there's any learnings that you could sort of call out immediately from this period that you'll taken sort of look back on following when we come out of this COVID disaster uh, that you'll kind of hold on to at IAG? Yeah. Um, do you know what? It's fascinating. I actually feel like we've been in many ways more connected during this time as as IAG and actually not just for me within IAG, with, with some of our partners and the people that we work with as well outside of IAG. So there's something about that which which I'm thinking through how how do we retain that? You know, how do we keep that? How do we hold on to some of these incredible connections we've been able to make in a digital context and keep building on that whilst also bringing some of that into the face-to-face world that we might head back into as well? And I think one of the big bits for me is this idea of trust and how we, um, in some ways, this you know this challenge that we've faced has meant that we've had to trust people perhaps more quickly or more openly than we might normally do. And actually when that happens, there's a beauty in that. And I wonder how do we um, as a collective, but then I'm thinking about from an IAG organisational perspective as well, how do we maintain that trust that's being built on the back of these connections that we're making, these random calls that we make to see how someone's going because we're thinking about them more than we might have done prior to COVID-19. So how do we hold on to that idea of connection that builds trust and use that to help um, further, you know, grow grow the culture of our organisation but grow our sort of capability as well? That's a great point, really good point. Um, it's been amazing chatting. How can people learn more about your work and connect with you if they want to do so? Yeah, I guess through the normal social channels, um, you know, LinkedIn and elsewhere um but iag you know through our um, internet site um we've got some interesting information around the work that we do on safer communities within that um and then i think just generally keep an eye out see if i'm turning up anywhere maybe in a conference or a panel and i'd love to say hello come up and say hi and i'd love to hear more about what others are doing within their organizations and individually and to, to make a difference as well Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Lana. It was just awesome to chat and uh, I think I've, I've learned a lot today. Oh, thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. 
If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 